Hello and welcome to episode 5 of Ineptus Astartes. Happy Thanksgiving! start off by getting to a couple of listener questions. Uh, we're going to take a look at a couple different things going on uh, with new releases, specifically the new Imperium book. We're going to continue on with the uh, Centurion series and uh, try to wrap this one a little bit early. I know you, there's not a lot of time on Thanksgiving week, so hopefully you just get a chance to slip this in someplace where you're hiding in the garage from your in-laws. So the listener question today revolves around the heavy support squad. Specifically, um, it was asked if uh, there could be a breakdown of the heavy support squad when compared to like the, the breakdowns that I had done on earlier on the channel for the troop choices and comparisons. I'm going to keep this really short, um, and I'm going to summarize it because this person already has uh, a specific question in, in that they feel like, they said they feel like the last cannon is the superior choice. And, you know, the long and short of it is, I would have to agree. The last cannon is probably, for the points, um, for the killiness, the best uh, value for your buck. So the heavy support squad is 100 points base for five marines. It's one support su legion support sergeant, one and four legionaries. Their weapon skill and ballistic skill, their stat line is exactly the same as a um, standard marine squad with the uh, uh, sergeant having one more attack and one higher initiative. That's uh, two attacks and eight leadership as normal. Um, the legionaries are heavy. They do get the heavy rule, and they do get the, um, the sergeant gets the heavy and the character rule. They have no special rules other than Legionis Astartes, which comes standard. Their starting war, uh, starting war gear is that every one of them gets a heavy bolter for free, it's a 15 points per every legionary extra, so it is more expensive than a standard marine. Um, you can buy them a Vexilla. Importantly, you can buy them an Augury Scanner and a Nuncio Vox, and those are all 10 points. And then you get additional options uh, for the squad. So the sergeant can take um, Artificer Armor. So they get that all-important 2-plus save. But then other than that, your options are to give uh, to swap out your Heavy Bolter for different uh, weapons. So the auto cannon is five points a model, a missile launcher with frag, flak, and crack. Frag, crack, and flak. I don't know how I said that wrong, but uh, five points a model each as well. Uh, Multi-melta, ten points a model. A plasma cannon is ten points a model. A Volkite culverin is five points a model. And then the last cannon is also ten points a model. The biggest thing to think about when you are picking the squad is thinking about what it exactly is that you want it to do. So, for example, if you are using this squad, the heavy support squad, as a heavy support option to get rid of anti-armor, or to use as anti-armor to get rid of tanks or to get rid of dreadnoughts or something else, if you want to do that, then the clear the clear leader is the last cannon. The last cannon costs the same amount as a plasma cannon. It costs the same amount as a multi-melta. The last cannon has a considerably longer range than the multi-melta by double, 
It does have Sunder, while the um, Multi-Melted does have Armor Bane. But you've got to be within 12 inches to use Armor Bane on these Multi-Melta Marines. So unless you have a way to move them around and let them shoot with some efficiency, it's not a good idea to use the Multi-Melta. Plasma Cannon is not bad, but it's a blast weapon, and its strength is lower, and it doesn't necessarily have the high EP. It's not going to help you kill vehicles, so that's more of an anti-infantry option. The Laz Cannon squad, uh, we've talked about it before when we were talking about just how good Dreadnoughts are. I mean, the Laz Cannon Heavy Support Squad is excellent, but um, it is it's, the really big thing is that it's cheap in comparable to the things that you're going to want to use to destroy it. And it's very effective then killer and uh, thing to use, you know, if you're trying to get rid of difficult to remove armor units, high AV value armor units, even just models that have like a high toughness, you know, like dreadnoughts or honestly, like it's not even that bad if you have to shoot them at something like a Jesteran squad or a, a multiple wound Terminator squad with a high invulnerable save. It's still pretty good, effective use of your points to try to take out certain things like that with them. The next best option, I would actually say, for the uh, heavy support squad is probably going to be the uh, frag and crack and flak missiles. And the reason I say this is because of the ability to have those flak missiles. So the the missile launcher is half as expensive an upgrade as the... Um, as the last cannon is. So in a full 10-man squad, you're going to be saving yourself 50 whole points by taking um, these uh, instead of last cannons. The ability to shoot flyers is pretty good because, I mean, depending on what your friends bring, if you have flyers in your meta, it's a good idea to have something that can try to shoot them down. And flak missiles have a pretty high strength and a pretty good shot of uh, like plinking down any flyer that your opponent could bring onto the board. You are also going to definitely get a Nuncio, or not a Nuncio box, an Augury scanner on this unit so that you can try to offset night fighting if it occurs and then also get that free interceptor reaction. So definitely something you're going to need on this squad, especially if you're hoping to use it as your one of your anti-air options. There are other options that I like as well. I mean, I don't hate just putting autocannons on these. There are some legions that autocannons might not necessarily be a bad job and a bad combo. Um, Iron Warrior heavy support squads with autocannons are pretty nice. Um, they're strength 8 autocannons. And then if you put like a Siege Master, or, I'm sorry, Siege Breaker in there, then you get Sunder on these things. So you're doing a lot of rerolls and you're getting rends and you're doing some other things like that. Of course, if you're playing Iron Warriors, you're probably taking um, their specialized version of this squad, which is the Iron Havoc, but it's essentially the same thing with a slight reskin. Um, the Volkite Culverins at five points a model, considering how much better Volkite Culverins got this edition, because the Culverin is now a five-shot weapon at 45-inch range, and because something that I don't think I've mentioned this before, I forgot to talk about it, but Deflagrate, which is the ability that Volkite weapons have, it used to trigger if you shot a unit or attacked a unit with a deflagrate weapon and it killed the unit, or killed the model, I'm sorry, then you rolled an additional, you it automatically hit in another target and you rolled an additional wound. Well now, so long as the opponent is wounded, um, you get to re-roll those dice. So, um, and this is, of course, because the wound happens before the um, feel no pain, 
you don't even get your friends don't even get a chance to um, get rid of it with the feel no pain roll for the apothecary or, or whatever else you have going on in the squad. So it's it's a nice it's a nice option as well. But again, this is an anti-infantry build now because the strength of the Volkite Culverin is only six, um, seven maybe if you have shenanigans like Iron Warrior stuff. But still, that's anti-infantry. Now, is it bad to have an anti-infantry heavy support squad? Absolutely not. No, that's that's totally a good idea. The problem is, of course, how many tools do you have doing the same job? The Legion heavy support squad is cheap. It is accessible in most builds because it's infantry. There are very few rights of war that restrict it. There are definitely some, but there's there's fewer of them that do otherwise. Um and the last cannon becomes really, really effective as a tool on these. The last cannon in particular, then, on a heavy support squad, becomes one of the most cost-effective ways to take care of high-armored value targets and then also potentially dreadnoughts. It is resilient in different ways from, I mean, you can do things like add a vexilla to try to help keep it from running away too hard. Um, you can buff it up further ways. Um, by adding siege masters or a cognis signum for example to like take this heavy support squad and instead of having them hit on threes now they hit on twos so unfortunately or fortunately listener the last cannon is the best option on paper now what really we can get into now is does it matter if it's the best option should you instead think about doing things that are just just fun anyway so a little bit of story time here about a game that I played last weekend. I got a chance to go visit a friend of mine uh, out of town, and I've got a group of buddies that are about two hours away that I play with sometimes, and I haven't had a chance to do that much with them lately. Anyway, my friend is an Alpha Legion player, and I was bringing my White Scars, and we have not really had a chance to play those two armies against each other, even though I started this army in Heresy 1.0. So... We ended up trying to play one of the narrative missions from Book 8, Malevolence, which is the book that introduced the White Scars rules, back in um, Heresy 1.0. There was a uh, Chondax campaign, which is part of the lore, sort of. But anyway, this, this campaign talks about the fight between the Alpha Legion and the White Scars. And it's got like four missions that are really, really unique and interesting and they're they're odd narrative little little things and they've got unique objectives which is something that i really really like the problem with narrative missions of course is that they are not always balanced because they're not necessarily designed to be balanced and so you have to pay extra care and attention when playing those things so i you know it was a game that was supposed to be on a saturday I got final confirmation I was able to go on like a Thursday night late. I spent about 20 minutes thinking about it, and I was like, I know what we should do. We'll play the last mission in the Chondax campaign. So for those of you who don't know or aren't familiar with it, um, the rundown of the, the game is that it's got a unique setup in which, uh, strangely enough, the White Scars are placed in an attack position against the Alpha Legion. And what they want to do is to reveal the secret... Alpha Legion commander among the forces. So the mission relies heavily upon a rule that Alpharius had in last edition and very, very sadly lost in this edition. Games Workshop, if you're listening to this, why did you take away such a cool rule? Um, but Alpharius was allowed to hide among his own army, and he could be revealed in a number of ways, including by choice by the player. 
But essentially, he popped out, and you, um, like, a regular, what was a regular rank-and-file legionary is actually, haha, it's Alfarius, you know. And that just added another level of, like, I mean, it was very lore-appropriate, it was very cool. And the mission was specifically designed around that. The White Scars need to succeed by exposing Alfarius, and the Alpha Legion needs to win by keeping him hidden as long as possible. So, that's not a rule that exists anymore. So we were like, well, okay, that's dumb. We're just going to give him that rule. We're just going to say that he can still do that. And um, we'll follow the old restrictions. And we'll follow the triggering sequences from the old the old narrative uh, pack. Uh, so that you know he can be discovered in the same way. You just got to make his squad uh, flee a leadership test. Or destroy the squad. Or charge it in combat. Or have him be charged. You know, stuff like that. And that would allow you to reveal it. I even bumped up the um, victory points, uh, and we made it a little bit more different. Instead of scoring at the end of the game, when if if the the way it was set up before was that the White Scars player would score victory points for exposing, and then getting more victory points for killing the Warlord, and the Alpha Legion only got victory points if the if the um, Warlord was not found by the end of the game, which didn't seem very likely. So we were like, well, that's dumb. And so what we decided to do was. We gave the hidden rule to one of uh, one HQ, which he ended up bringing a Praetor, and we also gave that hidden rule to Alpharius himself. So every turn that I did not find Alpharius or that Praetor, um, my opponent, my friend John, was going to get a victory point. And so we thought that was a cool idea to try to put things on the clock, um, make me feel like there was a real sense of urgency, I had to get around, try to find these units, try to expose them, and then, of course, I had to try to get rid of them. So the mission itself, on paper, seems to be a really fun uh, narrative way to do things. I had all these plans um, to make content about it. I actually brought my, uh, I brought my, well, it's just my crappy camera phone because this is Ineptus Astartus. But I was going to record it, and I did uh, record the game. Uh, talk about it. Um, we had done some other things too. For example, up until this, I had yet to play against the Alpha Legion. So to make it extra uh, complicated or confusing for me, I told him, write your list and uh, uh, we'll, uh, we'll have you, I'll, I'll go back in and, and record you talking through it after the game. Don't tell me what anything is. I mean, I, if I can see it looks like a tactical squad, it, it's it's a tactical squad or maybe it's a veteran squad and you just don't, don't tell me about anything any rules so that I have to wonder at those interactions the whole game. And it was, I thought it was going to be a real fun thing, a real fun idea. And uh, then we got into the game. Sidebar here is that, and I'm going to just leave it in to the recording, is that my dog is in the, the uh, room with me here, and the dog has a cone on because of an injury. And if you hear people or something just running into random walls or drapes or whatever else, there is not... Uh, someone chained up in my uh, recording space. It is just a golden retriever who's just very upset that uh, she can't go outside and bark at the neighbors and she looks ridiculous with a cone on her head. Anyway, so we started the game and uh, we rolled off and I ended up with first turn. And because of the way the board was set up, the mission dictated that uh, the Alpha Legion be placed in the middle and have a very long stretch of space in the middle. And then the White Scars were given only a 12 or a 6-inch deployment zone on each board edge. So 
right away, maybe, you can see one of the things that I was worried about, and it turned out to be a big problem, um, everything got off a first turn charge pretty easily. My list had two squads of Golden Keshig, and part of that is because I'm pretty limited on what models I have for that army now. Um, my Heresy 1.0 list didn't translate over super well to Heresy 2.0 in that uh, I lost a lot of points, so I've got to find them where I can make them. And Golden Keshig happened to be really, really great. So um, the Golden Keshig came in, they charged. I had a squad of Dark Sons of Death, which are the uh, exemplary battle um, destroyer variant, which are just okay. They charged in. Uh, they took care of a tactical squad. The Golden Keshig, uh, one squad was with the Khan, because of course we were doing this with Primarchs. One squad with the Khan went in and uh, just insta-gibbed a Leviathan, Dreadnought. The other squad went in and killed a Land Raider, exposing, exposing actually one of the hidden characters right away. So that was one out in the open. And then I had the bulk of the, the squad was, or the bulk of the uh, list was rounded out by three squads of six. Um, again, because that's what I had from last edition, jet bikes, all with Volkite, because you can give them all Volkite for five points apiece. And the Volkite rolled well, rolled hot, my friend rolled cold. And I think I ended up killing, my first turn of shooting, I think I ended up killing 40 Marines and then charging, similarly doing devastating things in charges. And I managed to reveal both Alpharius, who was hiding in the corner with um, a squad of, I think they were headhunters, and then the the uh, Praetor, who was safe and secure in a uh, Land Raider until it got Kantos power-lanced by the Golden Keshig. Now, these things are going to happen in games, and especially in narrative games where there's odd deployments. After the fact, I immediately was like, we should have just switched this to Hammer and Anvil and given you more uh, time to shoot at me. We should have made it harder for me to get there. We should have included some other obstacles or something. I was able to get onto him in turn one, and I had a list that capitalized on getting into combat. And I had a lot of fire support from my Volkite squads, which were able to chew up infantry on the ground. And the game... Um, we ended it before turn three. At the end of turn two, my friend had... Alpharius was still alive, but he had no squad with him. He, my friend had one Contemptor Dreadnought and Exodus, who was hiding in a tower. So it was, I mean, it was it was a complete, a complete massacre. Now, like I said, you're going to have games like that sometimes. But afterwards, I realized that I really needed to think more about... If I'm going to continue playing White Scars, you need to have more units available so that you have a chance to temper things out a little bit. Now, maybe you play, you, oh listener, play in a meta where people are considerably more competitive, where you play with more of the standard missions, or you have tweaked missions to make things more extremely, make them more balanced or whatever else. There's nothing wrong with an idea of a more crunchy core to your list building and whatever else but when you only have one list and a lot of times people only do have one list if your list does not cater to any comers that might come into your club or stop by your house for some garage hammer you might find yourself in a position where you take some opponents off the board right away and 
you have to ask yourself, is that good for the game? So what are some things that I could change in that list? Well, one thing I would do, without dealing with the list right now, because I'm not gonna I'm not gonna take the funds to change that army. I might shelve it for a while. Or I might try to make small additions and add some things that are more um, filler and put some other stuff that I know is a little bit suboptimal. One of the ideas that this very thing came, um, brought to me was the idea of doing a kind of tiering list. Not necessarily like with the idea of thinking about like the best things to take, but instead thinking about um, making sure that you're not including too much crunch in your army full of fluff so that you have an opportunity to bring a list that is fun for yourself to play and for your opponents to play. Games that go to game five are the best games. And a game in which you roast your opponent, sometimes even before they really get much of a chance to pick up their dice, I mean, they feel good in other ways, um, and they also feel pretty bad in some. So something to think about moving forward. So talking a little bit more about that balance between fluff and crunch, uh, next up is going to be a segment on the Centurion series, continuation from what I started last time. Um, this, the last time, uh, the last episode, part one, which had four Centurions, uh, was included on a YouTube uh, video on my new channel, which I've started. And this one will also be as well. It'll be chunked out as its own segment and then included up there for people to listen to. Um, the first one got pretty decent response. I mean, 40 views or so. Not terrible considering the high volume that we expect here at Ineptus Astartes. But we're going to keep going with that and see if the experiment bears any fruit. I appreciate your support here and there if you have the chance to do so. Okay, so here we are, and we're going to be talking about two more of the Centurions today. We're going to finish up the ones that... Our artificer armor only. We'll start with the Pravian and then we'll go into the Armistose. So the Pravian is plus 35 points and has a couple of unique rules and then some options too. The Pravian gains the Master of Automata and the Legionis Cybernetica special rule. So the second one there, Legionis Cybernetica says that an army that includes a model with this special rule may take a single Castellax Battle Automata Maniple or a single Vorax Battle Automata Maniple as part of the same Force Org choice as the model with the special rule. Any models in a Castellax Battle Automata Maniple or Vorax Battle Automata Maniple included in an army due to this special rule gain the same Legion as a Stardust X rule as the Paravian that they share the chart with, but they cannot select any Legion-specific war gear or any other options. And these are, of course, uh, Mechanicum units, so we'll talk about that in a second. The Pravian also gets a Cortex controller and no additional points cost and can have a Cyber Familiar for 15 points, which is interesting because that means that this is, I think, the only uh, of the regular Artificer Armor Centurions that can actually get a 4-plus Invulnerable save because that's what the Cyber Familiar will do for you. Um, Pravian cannot be on a bike, cannot have a jet bike, and cannot have a jump pack, which makes sense because they got to walk with their robots. The Master of Automata special rule specifically says that they can join um, Cybernetica units because they, if they don't have that rule, they, they are, you're unable to do so. In addition, while they're part of that unit, they cannot make reactions. 
um, but they do become fearless. And then this also shuts off the uh, programmed behavior special rule as long as, for, for those models, for the robots, as long as this, um, this model is part of that unit. So this for sure is a bit of an odd one because, um, well, when the book came out, we didn't necessarily know what the bots were going to be like. And so we really couldn't make much of a, a judgment on if this unit would in particular be really effective. The, the models have come out now, or the rules have come out for Mechanic and they've been out for a while. Um, and the ruling is still out for some of these units because while the battle automata were very powerful in last edition, they are um, kind of greatly reduced in a lot of ways. Um, and they're just not nearly as, as dominating as they were at one point. So let's actually take a look at the Vorax battle automata first. The Vorax, if you, um, they are the ones that look a little bit like uh, the Praying Mantis. Um, they are 65 points apiece. The unit starts with one and can include up to five additional at 65 points additionally per. Their movement is eight. Their weapon skill is four. Their ballistic skill is four. Strength six, toughness five, three wounds, initiative four, three attacks, leadership seven, strength or save three plus. Okay, so toughness five is great. Strength six is, is very good. Uh, wounds three, that's pretty good too. Uh, only weapon skill four and only ballistic skill four, which is okay. There is almost nothing in the Mechanicum book that has weapon skill five. So these, these units that you're bringing with your Pravian are not going to be suited right away. Well, you just know they're not gonna be suited for going up against elite forces because they just quite simply don't have the weapon skill to swing back and hit. They come with two power blade arrays each with a built-in rotor cannon. Um, they come with one lightning gun, an automatic deflector. Um, their type is automata, cybernetic light, And then their special rules are Fleet 2, Hammer of Wrath 1, and Scout. So first, let's take a look at this war gear. The two power blade arrays with inbuilt rotor cannons. Um, so first of all, it notes here that they would have four base attacks for the two power blade arrays. It is not included in the profile, so they would have four attacks, five on the charge. So that's fine. Uh, power blade arrays, though, are not, not nearly as effective as they once were. They're strength user, so that'd be strength six here, which is good. Um, melee, AP four with breaching five up. So you're going to be wounding marines on twos here but they will get a full armor save unless you breach on a five up and then it'll ignore everything down to artificer armor. That's, uh, that's rough, especially when you consider that these are weapon skill four. And so again, unless you're going up against basic Marines, you're gonna have a hard time killing anything. And we all know um, how tough and durable tactical squads with artificers are going to be. So um, you shouldn't really rely on one of these doing a whole lot of damage. As a matter of fact, just doing some basic math here and making it two Vorax instead of one for the simplicity of dividing the fractions. If two of these guys charge in against regular tactical Marines, uh, they will cause roughly four wounds, maybe which maybe of which two uh, end up being breaches. So maybe two regular saves, maybe two invulnerable saves, or straight to a feel no pain. 
when you consider that you're looking at, um, what would that be, 120, 130 base for two of them, before you add anything else to the squad, before you factor in the Pravian, um, it's not a huge damage output. Um, it gets way worse if you're fighting up against something with a weapon scale 5, of course. Um, but at least they're initiative 4 now. They used to be slower. So they at least strike at the same time as most basic marines. Now within each of those um, uh, power arrays, though, is a rotor cannon. So the, the unit does get two rotor cannons. Uh, assault 4, strength 3, 30-inch range, with pinning and shell shock 1. Pinning, of course, uh, has been covered a lot, but you know, if you successfully kill a model with a weapon that has the pinning rule, then you take an immediate pinning test and the model might, or the unit might just be stuck in place. Um, Shellshock increases that difficulty by reducing their effective leadership by one when you take that test. This might be one of the better parts about this unit, quite honestly. Um, the rotor cannons, each one of these is gonna get eight shots with a rotor cannon, um, and you're probably gonna force a pinning test. You get a really good shot, especially if you're taking two, maybe three of these things. Ballistic skill four, so you're not hitting fantastically, but you're doing okay. The biggest problem, of course, is strength three. Now, reminder that because you're taking this with a Pravian, certain legions would do better with this model than others. So for instance, uh, the first thing that comes to my mind is a Pravian Night Lord. So with a talent for murder, we're looking at uh, Vorax that are getting a plus one to wound. So wounding on a four plus with these rotor cannons, it's much better than wounding on fives. Just as an example. Ooh, ooh, this is the ghost of Thanksgiving future. The dunce who's recording this podcast forgot that Vorax don't have the bulky rule for some reason. They're on giant bases, GW. Why don't they have the bulky rule? Ooh, spooky. But anyway, that means that they're entirely useless in the Night Lords, and they wouldn't get squat from the Legionis Astartes if they were with a Pravian. Ooh, scary. This no-research moron will probably remember and figure it out later that he's made a terrible idea and make a comment. We can only hope so. Don't forget to be nice to retail workers. Ooh, ooh. Um, in addition, they also get one lightning gun, and the lightning gun is a pretty darn nice weapon this edition. The lightning gun has two options. The lightning gun can be fired at arc or strike. Both of these have only an 18-inch range, so there is a range discrepancy between the rotor cannon and the lightning gun. Uh, but if you shoot it at the arc, then it's strength 4, AP dash, so everything gets a save, but it's heavy 3 and shred. So the heavy won't bother these because they're automata, um, but shred, re-rolling failed wounds, that's pretty good. Strike is strength 7, AP 5, heavy 1, rending 4+, plus, and also shred. So this one's much more interesting. Um, overall, the combination of the lightning gun and the rotor cannon is going to make for a pretty decently effective anti-infantry. Um, and when you put it onto a platform that has the scout rule um, and also fleet too, these guys will be able to reposition okay. And putting them with the Pravian, I mean, I could see this working. Um, there are other options though as well, which are important to note for this unit. 
but they are options that you are probably just going to ignore entirely. So already said that you can have uh, up to five additional Vorax, so six total for 65 points. That's a pretty expensive unit. Um, for every three models in the unit, one of them can upgrade the lightning gun to an IRAD cleanser. An IRAD cleanser is a uh, template weapon, strength two, AP five, assault one, flesh bane, and radphage. Okay. So it's not that this weapon is bad necessarily, because um, an IRAD cleanser definitely has a place, and I, I could see it. You you could use it in different places, but the problem is, um, one in three for an additional ten points. Um, you're basically taking away your ability to fire a lightning gun at some sort of range, and then demanding that you get up close to use this thing. Now. You might want to do that with these Vorax, and I can definitely see them moving around the sides and getting to a soft target in the sides of the back. But the Vorax, while tough, and while they have a decent number of wounds, they don't have the weapon skill to tangle with anything serious. Their weapons are not tough enough to reliably do a ton of damage. Um, you're going to want to shoot with these things. Now, the other thing, too, is that, I mean... You're probably, if you're talking from a Legionus Astartes situation, obviously we are in this point, the Centurion that you're bringing along with him, unless you're modeling him for combat, um, he's not necessarily uh, going to want to come along for this ride. Well, um, I mean, he might. You might want him in there. Um, you might think of him as an assault uh, support character. But if you were going to do so, here would be my suggestion. Um, keep him cheap. Maybe give him a power weapon. I suppose you give him a power fist, but to get cheeky, what I would do is, if I'm running Vorax, um, I'm going to bring an Assault, Astartes Shotgun with my uh, with my Pravian. So the Astartes Shotgun, if you remember, has that rule where if it hits, the shotgun hits, then the unit that is hit has to take a test for concussive or they lose a weapon skill. So... Um, that would be one way to make the Vorax considerably better. I mean, it's cheeky and it doesn't have a super high success rate, um, but if it does work and your Vorax can hit on threes or fours as opposed to fours or fives, that would definitely change things a little bit. But the combat output is not going to be as, as big as you're going to want for the size of this unit. Now, depending on the Legion that you're taking these with, I could see taking a Vorax and uh, maybe three of them along with a Pravian just for a, a pretty thick extra um, shooting and harassment uh, unit to include in your force. Definitely fun, definitely will look different enough on the field that you'll enjoy seeing them there. Fun variety, which I think, again, is part of the reason why you're looking at these different Centurions in the first place. Your other option is the Castellax Battle Automata. And uh, they have, uh, they're 95 points a model. You can bring up to five of them in a squad. Um, the first one is 95 points. The others are 85 extra. The movement is seven. Weapon skill is a very sad three. Ballistic skill four. Strength seven. Toughness six. Wounds four. Initiative three. Two attacks. Leadership seven. And a three plus save. So they have uh, the unit type Automata, and their war gear is two shock chargers with inbuilt bolters, a Mahler bolt cannon, and an automatic deflector. Um, I, I didn't mention, I don't think I mentioned that the Vorex also have the automatic deflector, 
which one thing that's interesting here, uh, just to note, is that the automatic deflector means that every time one of these things dies, uh, it explodes. So uh, your Pravian is going to have to roll a lot of saves as the game goes on to avoid being killed by his own pets. But regardless, um, they also have the special rule Hammer of Wrath 1. Ooh, wait a second. The Castellacs don't have bulky either. GW, what the heck's going on? They're giant robots. They don't even move that quick. Ooh, they can't react because they're so big and clumsy. What's going on? Terminators have bulky. Ooh. I mean, you gave Fulgrim bulky six. What's up with that? Is he stealing the Castellax and Vorax sack lunches? Ooh. Is he doing calisthenics or JoJo poses inside dedicated transports? Ooh. If your older relatives try to start things with you at Thanksgiving dinner, just remember that most of them are probably sad that they haven't been cool for years. Ooh. Very spooky. In addition, as with the Vorax, um, they, if they have two shock chargers, they do gain additional attack, and it is not indicated in the profile on the page, so they would have four attacks on the charge, or three if they are charged. Reminder, these guys are weapon skill uh, three, so I'm not sure how much charging you'll be doing with them. So the, uh, the, the weapons here, so we got the, char the shock chargers, two of them, with bolters uh, built in. We know what a bolter is. A bolter is a bolter is a bolter. Um, the shock chargers are melee weapons. They're strength user. They're AP3, and they are melee. So right away, uh, the shock charger appears to be a better, well, I guess it depends on how you look at it. AP3 means you're actually going to kill Marines, um, but no breaching means you're gonna struggle against AP2. But it might not matter a lot anyway, because again, these guys are weapon skill 3, so they will never punch a marine at any better than 5 up. And yeah, that's just something to think about. They also have a Mauler Bolt Cannon. Uh, the Mauler Bolt Cannon is 24-inch range, strength 6, AP 4, and uh, heavy 4 pinning. So a chance to inflict a pinning test. That's pretty good. 4 shots at strength 6. So wounding all basic marines on a 2+. plus. So... You get a pretty good shot of making people take some saves. Pretty good shot if you've got a unit of like three of these and you decide to go with the Malter Bolt Cannons. You're, you're probably going to force a pinning test. So that is that is not nothing. Now while the Vorax were basically the school of take it or leave it with options, the Castellex have ton more choices. Uh, first of all, the entire unit can take searchlights for one point a model, which is, uh, which is a cool addition because uh, they might need that. Uh, any Castellax can exchange the Bolt Cannon on its back for either a Multi-Melta for 20 points or a Darkfire Cannon for 20 points. Now the Multi-Melta um, is, is standard and consistent. It's a 24-inch range, Strength 8, AP 1, Heavy 1, Armor Bane, Melta, and Twin Linked. So that's of course the same as before. We've talked about it in other episodes. Armor Bane, within 12 inches, you get to roll two dice when trying to uh, pop a tank. It also is Twin Linked, which is really, really nice, especially because this is a model with a ballistic skill four, so you got a good chance to hit, but you're not guaranteed. 
that's pretty good. 20 points. It's about consistent with what you would spend to put it on something else. The other spicy option is the Darkfire Cannon. And this one is this one is really interesting. So the Darkfire Cannon is 36 inch range. It's strength 7, AP 2. It's a heavy 2, blind, lance, and gets hot. So lance is the ability that says that if you strike something with an armor value, um, it, you count whatever it is you're shooting at as armor value 12 and no higher. So with strength 7, that means that this thing has a chance to glance or pen anything in the game on, what is that, a 5. So 5 glances and a 6 pens. So you're going to have a chance to put some hull points down on whatever it is that you're shooting at. It's AP2, so it's going to chew through the armor of, you know, uh, Terminators, uh, Command Squads, Special Elite Units, stuff like that. It's only Strength 7, so you're not going to cause an instant death unless you have some other shenanigans that are working alongside you. But what's really interesting here is Blind. So the Blind rule states that any unit hit by one or more models or weapons with this special rule must take an initiative test at the end of the current phase. If the test is passed, no problem. But if the initiative test is failed, all models in the units are reduced to weapon skill one and ballistic skill one until the end of their next turn. Uh, should the attacking unit hit themselves, they automatically pass the test. Okay, so this is really interesting because you don't have a super high chance of failing an initiative test but the effects are brutal right um, so you've got to roll above your initiative to fail it most models being initiative four at least in the marine list means it's not a super high chance but i mean 33 percent that's a big that's a big chance to really really hinder a unit weapon skill one and ballistic skill one means that if you shoot something with this and you manage to get blind to go off then you have your your castle x charge in the castle x will hit on threes they'll be much more effective in combat uh, it also means that if you're shooting across the field a little bit mid-range into another unit that you're afraid of the shooting next turn you manage to blind it that you'll be nearly eliminating that unit's ability to interact with the game it's a really really strong ability now the darkfire cannon it's expensive, and it's not going to instant kill, and it's not going to completely destroy tanks. But it is going to be pretty effective on almost anything that's a bit of a hard target that you at least want to try to chip down as it crosses the field. Uh, this might be the way to go, in my opinion, for the Castellax. I, I do like the Multi-Melta, but you do have to get within 24 inches uh, for the Multi-Melta, and really, honestly, within 12 inches to really make use of the thing if you're going to try to pop a tank. But the, the Darkfire Cannon, you get a little bit more grace with it, and you have a lot more utility in what you're trying to do. Or, you know, if you try to force some blind checks, you're just trying to peel a couple of hull points off of a, a unit or a vehicle that's you've been pinking with plinking with other with other stuff i mean it, it's got some interesting options it's got some interesting choices it can get expensive really fast because we're talking about a model or models and units that are 95 points base plus a 20 point weapon upgrade um but it's at least intriguing to think about now there are other options of course as well any Castle X can exchange one of its shock chargers with inbuilt bolter for a siege wrecker for 15 points each. 
So every model can have one siege wrecker. Any siege or any Castellox can exchange both of their shock chargers um, for two power blade arrays within built bolters, which are the exact same things that the uh, Vorex have that we were just talking about. In addition, any Castellox can exchange either or both inbuilt bolters for one of the following. A flamer for five points apiece, which, okay. And then a Maxima bolter for free. So first, let's talk about the Siege Wrecker. Now, this is a point upgrade where, you know, it's, it's equivalent in points to throwing a Power Fist on something. A Siege Wrecker is a Strength 10, AP 2, Melee, Brutal 2, Sunder, Wrecker, Specialist Weapon. So Sunder means we get to reroll failed armor penetrations, and I believe Wrecker is the one where uh, we get additional bonuses to slap around buildings or fortifications. Now, Brutal 2, this is good, and Brutal 2 is not easy to come by in uh, the Mechanicum book. It's easy to come by for the Marines, um, so if you're bringing this with your Pravian, you know, you have other ways of getting Brutal, but it is pretty effective. The biggest problem, of course, is that you're still putting it, you're spending 15 points to put a big melee upgrade onto a unit with weapon skill 3. Um, you're not going to hit really often with this thing. 15 points makes um, going against them pretty scary, but, I mean, you can't count on it paying off. And so that's a big question for me. The Power Blade Array we've already talked about and already covered. I mean, it's not, it's five points. So if you wanted to go get the blades, I mean, I suppose you could, that would be okay. Um, I don't think you should do that though. I think it's it's a, just a waste because I think the shooting options are much more interesting on this model. Now, that being said, there is the option of the Maxima Bolter. And that is actually something that I think I would take a look at. So the Maxima Bolter is strength uh, 4, AP 5, Assault 3, but it's only a 12-inch range. Um, if you were going to take these and maybe uh, put multi-meltas on them, for instance, and so you knew you were going to have to get close to stuff to really make use of the multi-melta, I think the, the maximum bolter should be considered a package deal with that. You're going to be close. You know you're going to be close to things. Maximum Bolter giving you an additional one shot. I mean, it's worth thinking about. The argument, of course, against is that, you know, uh, if you can't shoot beyond 12 inches, then a regular Bolter getting one shot the turn previous and then two shots once you get within 12-inch range, it evens out. So I guess it really depends on what kind of you want, but there's a reason why it's a side grade or it's a free upgrade. I think that if I were going to take a look at this unit as a whole, I think I would leave the shock chargers on there. And my thing, I, I'd be the most intrigued about the Darkfire lances, now, or Darkfire cannons. Now, one of the reasons why I think that is because, one, the Darkfire cannon is sort of a unique um, upgrade for this model. It, it It's like sort of a signature and has been sort of a signature for this model. Um, so I kind of like going with that flavor anyway. Now... Considering that this is a weapon skill 3 unit, these things are 95 points apiece. They are durable. They are tough. They do have a strength 7, so they're going to hit hard when they hit. I I still think this is a shooting unit, and I think I would consider it as such. I think I'm going to put the Darkfire Cannons on there. I'm going to put my Pravian here with them, and I'm going to keep them in the back 
or you know in the middle of my deployment zone up to the middle of the board where they can shoot where they can be screened a little bit where they can cause a little bit of havoc peel a couple points a uh, couple wounds off of something a couple hull points off something make a nuisance of themselves uh, but stay relatively out of harm's way when we're talking about the centurion themselves uh I think the way you outfit this character entirely depends upon a number of things. So if you were going to place the Centurion, the Pravian, in with Castellax to shoot from afar, then I don't think you need to necessarily consider about a ton of upgrades. I think the Cyber Familiar for 15 points to get a 4 plus invulnerable save, not a bad idea. Um, it's pretty cheap to get that additional survival. And if the Pravian does get killed somehow, the, the Automata become a lot more difficult to... Um, well, they're a little bit more un unpredictable. So I think that's definitely something you want to do to keep them alive if you're bringing them and you want your Castle X to do something. As far as any other additional upgrades, um, you don't necessarily need to give them a close combat weapon if you are going with the Castle X, if you're not thinking that they're going to get into combat. It might be interesting to give him uh, a Nemesis Bolter, honestly. Um, they're going to be shooting long range of things. The Nemesis Bolter can reach out and touch things in a similar way to the Darkfire Cannons, I suppose. It's got much longer range, um, but that won't hurt you to be wasting that range a little bit. Um, but that's a 10-point upgrade that isn't necessarily essential, but it's just an option or something for you to consider. If I were going to run Castellax, which legions would I th think about doing this with? Um, the Dark Angels, I definitely would consider doing this. Dark Angels have those six different, essentially, Legion traits that they can choose between. Having a little bit of extra shooting, not necessarily a bad idea. Um, <clears throat> I would consider taking them with Iron Warriors as well. Um, again, the uh, additional strength, making these Dark Fire Cannons strength eight, would be pretty nice, especially when you add that with the Lance ability. Um, so capitalizing nicely on what the Iron Warriors want to do. And we all know that the Iron Warriors love the Mechanic and Buddies anyway, so it would be cool to see some of those things in a list like that. Likewise, I could see uh, the Castellax showing up in an Iron Hands list, um, being able to see those uh, <clears throat> robots have an additional, essentially, durability or toughness against shooting attacks while they're standing there, you know, putting out fire as well. It would definitely keep them along, make them even more survivable and tough than they already are. I don't know that it would be good, but I think it'd be very funny to see a Pravian in a World Eaters list uh, with uh, battle bots of any type getting better at charging. I just think that'd be fun. I definitely would include Castellax in an Ultramarines list, having the ability to, uh, you know, tag on additional hits and things like that, um, whether as the activators or the ones being receiving of the benefit. I think that could be pretty cool. And because I think everything cool should go into an Alpha Legion list, I, I'd even suggest bringing them in there. I'm not sure what you do with them. I just like the idea of it. Vorax are a little bit trickier. Um, I definitely think I could see them again with Dark Angels. Getting, a, for example, like putting them as Firewing. Making them get an additional plus one to wound against characters. And there are certain uh, other bits of shenanigans you could do with that as well. Power blade arrays don't count as swords, so Deathwing wouldn't work out so well, but I'm sure you could find something fun to do with it. Getting an additional initiative on the charge with Emperor's Children would definitely help offset some of the Vorax's problems. They still, I'm not sure, would be killy enough to justify the, the point cost when you could bring so many other cool things in an Emperor's Children's list. 
Space Wolves, I mean, being able to run and charge, tie up something, stick there pretty long, that would be pretty cool. Uh, White Scars and additional movement, yeah, sure, why not? Be fun, anyway, I don't know how good it would be. But again, you know, the ability to scoot around, move around the field a little bit more, that'd be pretty all right. Now, this is something that I've thought about even since I started recording this segment. I mentioned the idea of putting Vorax in with Night Lords to proc a talent for murder. There's just one problem. Uh, Vorax don't have the bulky rule. Ooh, it can think after all. What this means for Night Lords players is that their squad will only ever be the number of models that is in it, which is capped at six, which means that you are almost never going to outnumber anything, and so you're never going to trigger a talent for murder. Uh, this is bad news. Uh, it makes this unit kind of almost unplayable in the list, unless you just really like the Vorax. But you will never benefit from the special rule that you are able to give it by putting uh, this unit into your Space Marine list through the Pravian. Blood Angels Voraxes wouldn't necessarily get much out of a plus one to wound in most situations. More durability would be welcome if they came in with the Iron Hands, and additional attacks, of course, would be welcome for the World Eaters. There's definitely other options here that I like. Um, maybe not the Death Guard so much, but Sons of Horus absolutely would be applicable and uh, welcome. This the ability to be just a little bit more durable in that first round of combat. Um, and then probably there's some shenanigans with the Thousand Sons that would be worth looking at as well. Similarly, I guess I would say that they could be fun in a Raven Guard or an Alpha Legion list, but, you know, I mean, honestly, you can throw them anywhere if you really like them. The biggest thing, I think, and I'm going to stick to this, is that a combat shotgun, or I'm sorry, a starter shotgun in the hand of a Paravian who's running with, uh, um, with the Vorax, just to try to get them a little bit more efficiency in combat, this is more of a, uh, I think it's more of an Assault Squad than the Castle X are with that weapon skill four, at least the capability to do so. You're not gonna be taking chunks and wounds off of tanks. Um, you might be mulching up infantry with rotor cannons causing some uh, pinning tests and whatever else, but you've got to plan on being able to survive and fight infantry. So that's the way you should look at it, I think. Overall, I would say I like the Pravian. I think it's an interesting idea and it definitely will add some visual variety to your army. There are different things that you can do with them, and the builds depend upon your legion and what you're trying to get out of it. The Castle Axe with the Darkfire Cannon, in my opinion, is the more fun option, um, has a lot of utility, without necessarily being something that's going to draw so much fire that it needs to be destroyed right away. Vorax, I like the look of those models. I really want them to be good, and I'm going to try to find a way to include them in something. There's definitely places where I could see them going, um, and I mean, they are tough. They're still, they're still toughness five. They're still three wounds a piece, three plus armor save and a five plus invulnerable. It's going to take a considerable amount of something to chew through them. So what's an example of how I would use this? Okay. So we're going to talk about a dark angels, iron wing Pravian, who's coming along with three, uh, castle axe with dark fire cannons. We're looking at 60 points for the centurion plus 15 points for our Cyber Familiar, which I am going to bring, taking us up to 75 points. I'm giving him a Nemesis Bolter so that he's got something to do while he's standing there uh, with his friends, uh, friend bots shooting at things. Add in the 35 points for the Pravian upgrade itself, and he's looking at a cool 120 points. 
He's being joined by a squad of three Castellox Battle Automata for 95 points base and 85 points per extra. We're also going to be giving all three Darkfire Cannons, which brings the total to 445 with the Centurion added on. That's not a that's not nothing. That's a, a significant amount of points. But I'm gonna take them as Firewing. I'm sorry, I'm gonna take them as Iron Wing. And this will allow me to re-roll ones against vehicles if I choose to shoot at those vehicles. Now let's get a little dumb when we talk about the Vorax. We're gonna take a World Eater's Pravian, and he's gonna be joined by three Vorax Battle Automata uh, stock with just the rotor cannons and the lightning gun just to tear up some infantry, wreck a little bit of face. We're going to give the Pravian the 15-point upgrade for the uh, Cyber Familiar, like before, but then we're also going to give them the Phalax Blades uh, with for 15 points to replace their weapons, so they're going to get that uh, melee specialist weapon rending 4-plus and duelist edge. So this is going to be a Pravian that's actually going to seek out duels or whatever else and try to get that rend off and do something wacky with it. Now, this is a lot cheaper of a unit because at 65 points a piece base, the Pravian plus the three Vorax only comes out to 320 points. That's pretty good. You know what? I might even actually take a couple more of them because when we're giving them that special, um, the Legionus Astartes rule, uh, what is it? Oh yeah, plus one attack for charges. We're, we're looking at a lot of swings with those power blade arrays. So, heck yeah. We're going to take a couple more of those. I don't think the Paravian is going to break any games for you or, um, you know, change the meta where you're playing, but it is definitely a fun unit, and I totally would consider adapting one, um, you know, building one for yourself, uh, especially if you're not a Legion that necessarily runs with big battle robots. Otherwise, if you're just looking for a little variety and something to put on the table. Now we've come to the last of the Artificer-only options, um, and this one is a sneaky one. This one is easy to overlook, and I'll be honest, when I was first thinking about it, I didn't, uh, I didn't much rate it. The Armistose in last edition had the ability to... It, basically, it's a, heavy, it's a heavy weapon trooper, um, and there were a certain number of heavy weapons that they could take, and they would get one of those for um, a Mastercrafted version of it. And then they would allow uh, the heavy weapon or the heavy support squad they were with to get free Mastercrafted as well, which meant that you had to slow roll that entire unit. But I mean, it was at least an interesting idea. Um, it was unique. It was a fun idea. Uh, that rule went away this edition. And so my first initial thought was just to dismiss it. But then I took a look at it more and I thought about it. And <clears throat> this one, despite having very little in... Um, description or real basic information, I think it's potentially a very strong choice and something that players will want to consider, especially uh, depending upon their legion and also who that a legion can become allies with. So first off, the Armistos is dirt cheap. The basic upgrade is only 15 points on the, on the base Centurion, so 75 points gets you an Armistos. That comes with the heavy subtype, um, which means that you can reroll failed armored saves from blast weapons, uh, but only if you're in a unit that has uh, heavy in its entirety. So it might not come into play depending on where you put this guy. The Legion Armistos can't have a jump pack, cannot have a bike or a jet bike. So they're walking. Um, they can also, or they do get 
free, um, an augury scanner, and a cogniz signum for no additional points, and may sig uh, select one of the following upgrades. Um, and these are the heavy weapons. We'll talk about those in a minute. Um, the augury scanner is one of the most important pieces of war gear in the game currently. Um, the augury scanner is the one that allows you to um, target units outside of 24 inches in night fight. It allows you to get a free interceptor reaction. Um, it's a very, very, very good piece of war gear. It's usually about 10 points and it's super cheap. In my opinion, it's, it's way cheaper than it should be. Um, so the fact that 15 points gets you um, those, that, and a Cognus Signum is nuts. The Cognus Signum is also great. It just gives you night vision, so you ignore night fighting. It also allows you to give up your shooting attack to give the unit you're with a plus one to hit. That's crazy good. It's an, a really, really powerful buff. Anytime you get a plus one to hit or a plus one modifier, that's really, really effective. And there's lots of units that would really love to have an additional plus one. Um, now you can give them a, a mastercrafted heavy weapon and these range from five to 15 points. Uh, the heavy mastercrafted heavy bolter, auto cannon, and a twin linked heavy flamer are five points apiece. The Volkite culverin and the multi-melta and the mastercrafted missile launcher with frag, crack, and flak are 10 points. And then you can get a, a mastercrafted las cannon or a mastercrafted plasma cannon for 15 points. The ones that stick out to me, um, off the top of my head, the last cannon for 15 points, mastercrafted with a ballistic skill of 2, pretty good. Also, the mastercrafted missile launcher for 10 points with the flak missiles. Um, again, a chance to react for free, have a chance to shoot a flyer, seems pretty good. Uh, honestly, any of these would be fine, I suppose, if that's what you're after. The cool thing about the Armistos to me, and what would definitely happen is that I'm going to give it um, one of these heavy weapons and then also because you can give it like a power fist just because that's funny. So anyway, that's all good, that's all great and you're not adding that much more expense to your model unless you do the stupid thing that I'm gonna do and give it a power fist. But here's the thing that's really interesting to remember about the Armistos. First of all, um, he's a Centurion so he's got the Relentless Rule. That means that any of these weapons, he can walk and shoot. He can Rambo and just trot around with this thing and just go full G.I. Joe, which is nice because then you can put him in a lot of different units and he can just do his thing and he's not going to be slowing down the unit that you put him with. But here's the other thing that's really important to remember about characters. So there is a chart in the book which one do I have in front of me? I've got the Hereticus right here in front of me. And it's page 12 of the uh, Hereticus book. And this is the Allies in the Age of Darkness page. So if you've seen this, you know, you have the chart. you got the image and you've got the, uh, the matrix, which tells you how this works when you are bringing in an allied detachment. So the top side is the primary. So let's say I am playing my Iron Warriors and I am trying to see how well I match up with various different forces. Now over on page 13 is a chart that tells you about the four or four and a half <laughs> different categories that can relate to the level that two forces have a trust or lack of trust for each other. So the best is Sworn Brothers and these are the closest allies who fought beside each other many times. 
These forces are considered friendly units. They can, uh, Sworn Brothers, independent characters can join other units. So uh, if I am, you know, Imperial Fists and I am playing with Space Wolves, then uh, my Imperial Fist characters can join the Space Wolves. So this is definitely going to have to be a full topic for another video, but you should take a look at this chart when you are taking a look at what you are going to build with the army that you're interested in, okay? Now, everything outside of Sworn Brothers, I mean, it matters, but for our sake, let's just look at Sworn Brothers. The ability to put a independent character from one army into another squad. Anytime you have such mixing, there are going to be really interesting potential rule overlaps, exploitations, problems, or whatever. But in this situation, let's just stick and think about the Armistos, okay? For 75 points base, you have a character, and that character has a Cognosignum, which ignores night fighting, gives a plus one ballistic skill if they choose not to shoot, and an Augury Scanner, which allows access to Interceptor, which is one of the most powerful um, reactions currently in the game, just because of how, how tough deep strike assaults can be, how important that is. There are going to be all sorts of units that do not have access to Interceptor natively. The Armistos is one way that you can get Interceptor into a unit that otherwise could not gain access to it. And, and um, you can even put uh, this unit, this I'm sorry, this character, into uh, a, another entire book's um, unit and give access that is really, really difficult to get. For example, in the Mechanicum book, it is not easy to get reactions um, on some of the units. And it's not always easy to get access to auger scanners and other things. But you can take this model and place it... Uh, you can take the, the uh, Armistice and put it in with a squad of Myrmidons and then give those Myrmidons a chance to react with all their plasma fusils, all their grab guns, whatever. Okay. Now, there are other options, of course, as well. But for, the, for 15 points, you have the ability to take this character and, and do this. Ooh, you have angered the ghost, you absolute win-at-all-cost try-hard nerd. Weren't you just talking earlier in this very episode about building things that are fun and friendly and not jerkishly strong? And quit saying it's only 15 points because you're forgetting about the base cost of the model. You're going to confuse your listeners, you absolute lackwit. Ooh, unbelievably spooky. I'm probably going to put... Uh, stick more to the the general flavor of the model and make sure that it's got a last cannon um, and like I said maybe a dumb melee weapon just because they're a centurion but this model this unit opens doors to really interesting combinations there are other units that can do the same thing within the army list like the tech marine the tech marine can give additional buffs to units as well but that still has to be within your same army. So if you're if you're playing ultramarines, that tech marine can only go with other ultramarines. Um, or if you're salamanders, it can only go with other salamanders because of the special rule about the tech marines. 
Um, but this character has a really unique and powerful ability to do something entirely different, which is really cool. So how am I building this character? Okay, I'm I'm gonna have I'm gonna have a, an armistice for my Iron Warriors. Um, what are they gonna be equipped with? Okay, I'm gonna take the basic sixty point Centurion. They're going to get the seventy five points. They're going to get to seventy five points because they're gonna be an armistice. I'm giving them a Mastercrafted Last Cannon for an additional 15 points, takes us to 90. And then I'm giving them a Power Weapon, a 15-point upgrade, which will immediately be changed to a Graviton Mace, so that I've got a little bit of melee haywire, because every night when I go to sleep, Dreadnoughts come and haunt me in my dreams. And so this will allow this character, who's probably going to be sitting with a, a heavy support squad or, or something, uh, a chance of fighting off the big robots of Stompy Death. So, I mean, again, it, it gets to be a pricey little unit, but it's still pretty effective. I'm going to be able to put it with a unit that couldn't react before, give a chance to have that interceptor. If I really needed to forego shooting my Laz Cannon for one round to give the Cogna Signum, I could do that as well. Um, but yeah, I'm going to model a cool looking, I mean, I'm sorry, like a cool power mace with a sweet extra intricate, uh, last cannon that sounds pretty dope so next up we're going to talk briefly about um, the legio custodis um, for the new book of the imperium and what we're going to do we're going to do something a little bit different here i'm just going to give a very very brief overview of the first part of the basic rules and then talk a little bit about the 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 custody as it as it exists and how it compares to the standard space marine now uh, i'm planning on doing some more content over this but unless people want really, really in-depth content um, over here on Ineptus Astartes, I think I might put this just on the YouTube channel just to allow people to experience it over there um, and then just do more broad strokes here. So without further ado, let's talk about the Custodes. So first of all, one of the first things that I noticed about the Custodes army list, which I think is very interesting, is that the Custodes in the lore and in general are loyalists. So that's obvious. But there's actually a special rule in their rules to deal with the fact that you can't always uh, you can't always make it happen in a way that um, sometimes you have to play good guys against good guys. So the the, the allegiance and the legio custodes rule um, any says among other things any models that have the traitor allegiance may not be taken in an army whose primary detachment has agents of the emperor legio custodes faction. But if two armies that both have the agents of the Emperor or Legio Custodis faction are selected by opposing players in any battle whose result is counted for a given alliance in a campaign or a tournament, then before the battle begins, one player should be designated as playing for the traitor side of that event. This doesn't make the army or any model in it count as being a traitor, but it simply indicates that if that army wins or loses, then the, it's recorded for the traitor side of the event. And, you know, there's a thing about this is about confusion of two people being tricked or whatever, you know, alfarious shenanigans. I think it's really interesting that they've actually put this specifically into the design. And I think it's a great idea because this way um, there's a very clear cut sort of solution for events, tournaments, whatever that comes your way and having a way to think about and look it up. Um, now, obviously, this is probably what most tournament organizers would have done regardless but it's still kind of cool just to have it sort of, you know, anchored in the specifics of the lore. 
Okay, so the Custodes only get one Warlord trait, which is called the Golden Exemplar. Any combat with at least one friendly unit within 12 inches of a Warlord with this trait, or a combat which includes a Warlord with a trait, gains a bonus of plus one to a number of wounds for the purposes of deciding which phase is one of combat, which is, uh, you know, not bad. Um, there are traits and rules that give similar things, but war gear also that give similar things. Um, in addition, while engaged in a challenge, a warlord of this trait adds one to their attack and initiative characteristic. Now that's pretty cool. Uh, swinging even faster for a custode is pretty excellent. And they're, they're as high as their weapon skill is and as great as their war gear is, um, additional attacks are also to be considered. Okay. So, as opposed to having the Legionus Astartes rule, the Custodes have the Legio Custodes rule, which has a bunch of small uh, rules in it, and it revolves around the Nemesis type, which is a new thing for the Custodes. Models with the special rule gain the following benefits in various situations that involve Nemesis units, and the Nemesis entry is considered as such. All models with this special rule... Oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. Let me read the Nemesis unit first. A Nemesis unit is... A unit that includes one or more model with one, at least one of the following types, Dreadnought, Primarch, Monstrous, Reinforced, Bombard, Daemon, Corrupted, Super Heavy, Unique, or Knight. Um, it also counts if the majority of the models in the unit have weapon skill uh, of weapon skill, ballistic skill, wounds, or initiative of fire, five or higher, or if that unit includes an enemy warlord. So you're probably noticing you're going to double dip on a couple of these, probably. But still, this is very interesting. Let's talk about the first one first. So <clears throat> getting an additional benefit against Dreadnoughts, Primarchs, is great. Monstrous as well, because that will have um, you know a couple of units that are uh, big and bulky, and then also presumably a couple of big demons whenever those rules come out. Another thing that I think is really interesting... Oh, Demon is also covered, so it, it covers that anyway. But regardless. Uh, another thing that I think is interesting is that it it targets Reinforced, Bombard, and Super Heavy. So Reinforced, this means that um, vehicles that are Reinforced that would... And, and the Reinforced thing gives you extra benefits and ignores um, certain damage results on the lower end of things on the uh, vehicle damage table. But this means that Custodes are just extra good at killing... Land Raiders, for instance, uh, which is really funny. Uh, super Heavy, that, I guess, makes sense. Um, knight, okay, yeah, that's that's what it is. But also Unique, so they're just good at killing special characters, in addition. Um, the majority of the models in the unit have to have a weapon 5, uh, or, I'm sorry, a value of 5 in any of the following characteristics, weapon skill, ballistic skill, wounds, or initiative. So again, any special character units... Um, any veteran units uh, that are good with weapon skill, the ballistic skill. I mean, it, it's really going to allow you to target specifically and harm um, any of those specialist un specialized units in your opponent's force. So, um, what are the benefits, though? Uh, when you're uh, with, you have the special rule and you're locked in combat with a nemesis unit, you get one attack. You get a plus one to charge rolls made against nemesis units. When rolling to hit with a Nemesis unit, you never need to score better than a 4 to hit unless the unit is comp composed entirely of models of the Primarch unit type or 
the attacking model is in a challenge with the model that has the primary unit type. Okay, so this one is um, good and also not good. So what this means is that you're going to get all these benefits against a lot of really tough, tough models and units. But excluding the Primark one while also including it means something kind of interesting. So you're going to get plus one attacks if you're engaged against a Primark and whatever the Primark has following them around. Um, you are going to get a plus one to charge roll as well. Um, you will never hit worse than a four plus against a Primark's uh, companions or uh, retinue but you probably weren't likely to do that in the first place. Most of the units that we're talking about are weapon skill 5 anyway. And a little tease ahead, but everything custodes is weapon skill 5 already. So you weren't going to hit worse than a 4+, plus already. Now, this is only when it's entirely Primark, so it um, it won't come into play, but where you really want it and really need it is against a Primark. Every Primark is minimum weapon skill six, being silly old Lorgar up to you know weapon skin weapon skill eight, and some of them have the ability to pump it up even higher than that. Where this would really sing and shine is when swinging against a Primark, because that is where the custodes are going to have a hard time hitting. Um, they're going to be at five pluses against a Primark. But by saying that if the unit is entirely composed by it, so if you know a unit of Custodes gets the jump on a Primark without um, some buddies defending them, or if you challenge a, a Primark, then you still rely specifically on your weapon skill. So you're still going to have a hard time hitting. Now, this is good for the Primark because I don't like to see the Primarks um, undervalued in this certain way, you know, to make it easier for these guys specifically to kill Primarchs, especially when we have all sorts of weird situations where some of the Primarchs only hit their brothers on a 5+, plus, um, which really changes the whole, like, titanic struggle concept and idea um, from the lore into, like, sort of a silly slap fight depending on the matchups. Um, but still, it makes this, uh, it really takes a lot of the teeth out of this. Now, does it matter? Well, it will matter in these big cases and big situations. But as far as the rest of this, the Nemesis unit covers quite a lot of territory and gives you a chance to slap around and get extra bonuses on a lot of different things. So is it good? Yeah, I would say it's absolutely good. The thing that's interesting about this rule, though, is just how good it actually works out to be. So the standard Custodes has a move of 8 inches, and because of the new breakdown of move when it relates to charge, this means that on already, without any modifiers of any sort, every Custodes unit that charges, uh, the basic ones anyway on foot, are already getting a plus 1 to charge because of their move speed. When you add in the Nemesis unit, you are now getting a plus 2 to all charges against Nemesis units. Um, part of this is included in your move, like I said, but still, that's a lot of mobility, and that's pretty wild. The next thing that's really interesting, though, the plus one attack is good. I mean, it's really good. When you're looking at the standard Custodes model that has a, the troops have a basic uh, attacks of four, um, five attacks a model uh, before charge bonuses, that's absolutely wild. Squad of these is going to be putting out a lot, a lot, a lot of hurt at weapon skill 5 on whatever it is that they're charging. So presuming that we're talking about 
you know, charging other high quality units like veteran squads or, uh, you know, anything with that veteran weapon skill of five hitting on fours, um, but all those extra attacks, it means a lot of difference. The Legion trait, I think, does a good job giving a feel for the, uh, um, the custodes, giving everyone an idea of like what exactly it is that they do. They're, they're there to throw themselves at big targets. They're there to, you know, mop up uh, difficult fights and stay in there so that they're never, they're never going to be outmatched or outgunned too hard when they're in the big fights. Um, fortunately, they've got other things to help them in the littler fights. The standard, um, the standard stat line for these guys is just a, a Space Marine plus one. Movement, weapon skill, ballistic skill, strength, toughness, wounds, and initiative, all one higher than what a standard Marine gets. As I said before, the standard uh, trooper gets at least three attacks. Um, I'm looking at the guard, or the Sentinel Guard Squad profile right now. Four attacks base, leadership nine, and a two plus save. Because the armor that they get is the Auric Warplate, which provides a two plus save and a six plus save cooked in. They get they get melta bombs for free. Um, they get frag grenades. Um, you know there are multiple kits um, and loadouts for the different squads. The Sentinel Guard comes with sword and shield. The uh, Custodian Guard squad comes with the Guardian spear. Um, whatever it is you have, you're going to end up with an AP two weapon. Uh, that you're swinging at weapon skill five with a whole bunch of attacks. These these things are going to be they are going to be a very very tough melee army. Now, which that's kind of what they were before. Um, there definitely looks like some of the survivability a little bit has gotten nerfed on them. And um, definitely one thing that's changed that's nice in this edition is that you can no longer. Um, quite as easily uh, use the wound allocation model of closest to closest to chain out wounds like I had seen some custodian guards players do um, but there's you know there's a lot of there's a lot of still a lot of fight in this list uh, definitely gonna be interesting I'm just looking at this now and realizing that both of their troop choices also get skirmish so they can spread out and be sneaky you know seven foot tall gold-covered, sneaky guys, whatever. So when we're looking at Custodes, uh, the basic model is going to be roughly 15 po 50 points apiece um, for Toughness 5, at least 2 wounds, uh, Strength 5, Weapon Skill and Ballistic Skill 5, a 2-plus armor save, and just tons of extra rules that make them really quite excellent, um, including Relentless, including Stubborn, um, including, uh, you know, chosen warriors in a lot of situations so they can take challenges um, as opposed to making you fight uh, bad matchups if you don't want it. Uh, they, they've got a lot of tricks, and um, they're, they're going to be very good and very, very tough and hard to shift, so that's definitely something that we will look at more um, and look for more of this on the YouTube channel uh, in the coming week or so. Uh, because I'll do some more breakdowns of the different uh, the different units and the different uh, types. I think we'll start with troops and talk about the HQs. HQs will be short because this is a rules uh, rule section that only has, um, if you discount the named character Valor, who is now a Primarch, interestingly, um, you get only just two options for the HQ choice. Um, it's a small book. 
Now, one of the things I would say is that it's important to note that um, if you're looking at this book and you're really interested in some of these non-Legion uh, choices, all of these agents, or not agents, allies of the Imperium, the forces of the Imperium for this book, they count as um, sworn brothers when they are played together. So you don't, if you if you don't want to build a huge detachment of custodes, you could totally build like an allied detachment and connect them with, you know, a solar ox or, um, you know, a, a legion of space marines and then just have a couple of these boys in gold. It might be a cool way to flavor something, especially if you're going to do, you know, Siege of Terra or something. And then also not quite as maybe um, daunting as seeing, you know, 30 of these custodians on the other side of the board, knowing that it's going to take a whole heck of a lot to kill them. Um, but, you know, just something to look at going forward. And like I said, look for that on Aneptus Astartus uh, 30k on YouTube sometime soon. TM. I want to thank everybody for listening again today, um, for sticking with the podcast uh, in our little hiatus a couple months ago. Um, it's really great to know that people are listening to this and getting something out of it, which is, I think, the whole point. Um, I've been really enjoying sharing this stuff. I love I love the Horus Heresy. I love talking about it. I love making educational content for you all, so thank you for that. Um, I want to end with just a little something along those lines of, you know, it's, hopefully um, I will get this out on Thanksgiving Day or maybe uh, maybe the, the next day. We'll see. We'll see what the turkey coma does to me. Anyway, um, thinking about things, I, I am thankful for the audience that I've got, um, small and dedicated though you might be. I really do appreciate it. But I also want to talk about something else. Um, it is the holidays. And while I feel pretty fortunate to be able to do something like this that I love and to share uh, my feelings about this game with all of you, um, there are others, of course, who are definitely not as fortunate. Um, I would urge anyone hearing this to take a second and think about what you can do to look around the world and make it a little bit better. I'm thinking about two people in particular right now. Um, one, there's this guy who some of you might know on the internet he's active on facebook and may is his name and may is um one of the people who has really helped keep battle scribe afloat as far as the horus heresy stuff uh, he works really hard at it and got battle scribe rolling in heresy 2.0 really much faster than i thought they would um, and he does this as a volunteer um, he does this because because he loves it and he loves the game like all of us do uh, I talked to May a while ago about how, like how would we possibly show our gratitude for this sort of thing, and May said that um, you know similarly that you know he 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 feels lucky to be able to do something like this, and that what would May would prefer is to for people to donate money uh, to food banks or to mental health charities in your local area. Uh, try to try to make things better where you are. Um, this time of year, especially, it gets cold. Um, there's lots of people who struggle around the holidays and have a hard time. And um, anything you can do would help. Reach out to your friends if you have a little bit of extra cash. Um, you know, skip one pot of paint and donate that to someone who uh, who could really use it. Um, the last thing I would like to do is to. Um, I had a friend pass away recently. His name was Noah, 
And similarly, Noah was a person who was a beautiful soul. He had um, a strong sense of compassion and um, injustice. And he really cared about other people. Um, and he, he was an artist. Um, he loved to create art, and I was never able to get him into Warhammer. Um, but <laughs> I do think about him sometimes when I see uh, a nice graphic design or um, a funny meme, if I'm being honest. Noah was really well-loved. Um, I know that he had a lot of friends <clears throat> um, in different circles and different walks of his life. Um, I knew him through video games and through friends in Minneapolis. And though I had had less contact with him in uh, recent years, the last two years, I suppose, um, I, I he was the kind of person I knew I could have talked to if I ever needed it. And now I find myself um, kind of disappointed in myself for not uh, thinking to reach out to him before things ended the way they did. Noah Noah was like anybody else. Um, he had his highs and he had his lows, but he really touched a lot of people and he changed a lot of lives. Um, and I guess what I would ask all of you to do as we go into this at least American holiday weekend um, is to take a look around you, take stock of the people that you have in your life, and, um, you know, think about what you can do to make sure that you are thankful and uh, grateful and present. Um, and you know what? Um, enjoy, enjoy every minute of everything you can. And that's going to be it for this time. Much, much respect, thanks, and appreciation for... The, the bit of support you all provide and how it gives me a reason to keep doing this, which I'm having I'm having so much fun doing um, take care of yourselves <laughs>